We thought it would be a good time to kick off Parent Equip on Mother's Day. Um, certainly passing on a day like today um, comes out of the moms. So that's why we're here, because of your passion for your kids. And at Radius, we're serious about the kids, and we really want to help parents. So as you, as you think about it, we'd love to have you plug into that. Happy Mother's Day to all, all the moms in the room. It's this, uh, man, it's a celebration. It's like, it, it's also like, a, a, I don't know, like a, it's, a, it's a day where hopefully there's a, a little thanks pass your way. No pressure, kids in the room. But th- this is a day where you recognize a lot of work that goes unrecognized the rest of the year. Doesn't mean it should go unrecognized the rest of the year, but, but it does. And so it, I, I love the idea of Mother's Day. We got to go to my son's graduation last weekend. And as your kids complete stuff, it's really interesting as a parent to kind of examine how they got there. And I've just had a couple minutes where I can lean into Cheryl and go, you did that. JT's really smart. He can read really well and write really well. Clearly, I didn't do that. Like, like you did all that work that went in, and he's graduating college. Like, nobody, everybody else is, is celebrating him. But there's a bunch of moms in the room that make those moments happen, and we, we just really want to say thank you. Thank you for all that work, for all that sacrifice. At the graduation, at the end, there was, uh, they recognized their ROTC program, and so They'd walk up the ROTC graduates, and at the end of introducing each of the ROTC graduates, then they would name their assignment, and they would name a date where they're expected to show up at the assignment. I got to go ahead and tell you, like, it felt different when those guys got their assignment. One of them was in Fort Jackson. I went and found him and said, hey, come to Radio Sheriff's, and I was recruiting on, on, on the thing. But, like, like no, I, it was like this, okay, they're, that's, that's for real. Like, these guys are leaving school, and they're going to it. And for many of you moms, as I watch you come in the door, whether you're a brand new mom and clearly like a little tired coming in the door, like because of the last few days where the moms that have logged a bunch of years and have done the work with your children. Hey, just just we respect you and we're thankful for your hard work. And today we want to say, uh, man, thank you for that sacrifice for your children. We also want to acknowledge that children are a joy from the Lord. Like, so on one hand, like you compare it to a bunch of military guys that are going to go fight and you actually think death. This is really hard, this, mother, this mothering thing. On the other hand, man, in our world, we rarely acknowledge the joy of children. And Mother's Day is a day for that too, like that children are important, that they're from the Lord, that they're a gift. Sadly, in our culture, oftentimes it is viewed as the opposite, as something that's stealing from you instead of a gift to you. So moms, we, we uh, both respect your hard work and thank you. And we celebrate the joy of your children, the joy of the privilege to get to do this thing called motherhood. Always on Mother's Day, there is pain in the room. We talk about it often at Radius that we get to do this together, that we're, we call ourselves a family. The Bible calls us a body. So some folks often are in pain and we can sit together as other folks are having a celebration, that we belong together on those days. So we have folks in the room today that have lost their mom in the last 12 months, and this is the first Mother's Day without your mother. So we, uh, we grieve with you. For some, it's been a while, but it still stings on this day. There's some in our room that have lost children, moms that have lost children. And today is particularly painful for you. We have some ladies in the room that would love to be moms. But they're not moms. And so this day 
always feels a little awkward. Let me just say, we belong together. Right? Like, we belong together. And so I'm really glad you're here. For some, you have a mother that really did not do a good job. Even more so, some of you have one that was absent by her choice. And so Mother's Day is this day where I feel like I'm supposed to give respect, but I don't respect. It's confusing. That's us. That's our family. We got all that going on in here, and it's really appropriate to do it together. And yet, with all that, with some pain in the room, we still want to hold this thing that God designed all the way at the beginning for a lady to be able to be a life bearer, to pass on life to the next generation. We want to hold that high in the work that often goes on with really very little even acknowledgement. We at least take a minute to. Thank you for that good work. There are ladies in this room that have given up careers so that they could have more time mothering. Thank you for doing that. There are ladies in this room that are carrying it all by themselves. They're single moms, working a job, they're raising the kids, and all the other stuff. Thank you for all the work that you've done over the last 12 months. There's all variety of moms in the room that have got it done. We, we want to say thank you. The next generation is dependent on you. I'm thankful for your good work. We're in a series, we're calling it Real Prayer. It's out of, uh, um, out of a section in the Bible called the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking to a group of people and then he teaches the disciples how to pray. Pretty appropriate to talk about prayer on Mother's Day because mamas pray often, especially when it's desperate, right? Like mamas tend to know how to pray in desperation. And sometimes moms, I know you need to pray just because you're anxious. What's the Bible say? It says to be anxious for nothing but pray. And so when the worry gets big, when you can't control, I always call him little Jimmy, no offense, Jim's in the room, but like when you can't control little Jimmy's strike count at the ball field, like, like the, the idea is that you pray. And so when we think real prayer Thinking about a mom is certainly appropriate. Let me pray now, and then I'll teach you this little passage. I, I don't know, Lord. I feel that our moms need encouragement, and just want you to do it. So encourage them, and yet this message is direct and It'll get right to our souls, and so I trust you with that for everybody in the room, men and women and children, that you would take your words, encourage moms, and at the same time convict all of us with your word and bring life to us. We trust you with uh, teaching us how to pray, Lord. You're the ultimate uh, communicator with the Father, and we want to pray like you do, Jesus. Amen. So Jesus says just that. When you open uh, Matthew chapter 6, he says, pray like this. And so for the last few weeks, we've been using an acrostic, A-C-T-S, Acts. If you've been with us, we've done it on Wednesday night. You can come back this Wednesday night. The last two Wednesday nights, we've got together and pray, and we're working through A-C-T-S, adoration, big word for worship, but adoring the Lord, C, confession, telling the truth about ourselves. T, thanksgiving, being grateful for what's been given to us. And an S, a word that we never use, but it works for acts, supplication, which is the exercise of asking. A-C-T-S. But we're teaching it 
Let's see, how do we, I wrote it down. A-S-C-T, so you can see why we didn't go with that. Like, like that says, as Connecticut, or, or something like that. It would be really hard to get you all to remember it. But we wanted to go through the Lord's Prayer, and we want to let it, uh, it guide us. So it, uh, adoration, and then supplication, and then confession is kind of how the Lord's Prayer goes. So you understand why we're doing that order. But we're really trying to give you some tools to learn how to pray. It seems to be the most intimidating thing in church life to learn to pray. And so a little bit of time we're hoping to learn. Let me read you the Lord's Prayer. This is out of the New Living Translation. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. The Lord's Prayer. He starts with adoration. We spent... Uh, two weeks ago, we spent some time on it. As a matter of fact, I, I would encourage you, if you haven't been around much, go back and listen to two weeks ago. And last week, the two weeks ago was adoration. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Jesus starts his prayer by just worshiping the Father. He's telling the truth about God, that he's holy. He's claiming the him as our Father, and he's given us those same rights. But then he, he practices like a practical adoration. He says, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not only do I think you're great, God, I wish you were here now and took over this place right now. As a matter of fact, I want what you want. I don't know how you pray, but a lot of times I'm praying about what I want. And he's saying, no, no, when you pray, tell God how great he is and then tell him you want what he wants. Like, your kingdom come soon, now. I want you here. There's nothing here I want more than you. It's a, it's a trendsetter for your prayer. Like, stop right there and go, I want what you were, want. So you start with adoration, saying how wonderful he is. I start by telling Cheryl how gorgeous she is, but then she wants the yard cleaned, right? Like, 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 like show me. Why are you laughing so loud at that? Oh, uh, Verse, verse 11, supplication. Give us today the food that we need. If you missed Russell's sermon last week, it was terrific. I listened to it on my ride back from Chicago, um, and it was spot on when we think about supplication and our attitude in which we ask. So if you look at the Lord's Prayer, what's really interesting, he starts with 27, in, in, just in the English language, 27 words about God and worshiping him, adoration, and then he spends seven words on what we need to ask. And as a matter of fact, he only asks for what we, he needs for the next 24 hours. It's, it's interesting. And then he spends the last 28 words on confession or our relationship with sin. It's, it's, it's interesting that half the prayer is about God and half the prayer is about our relationship with Sin. Is it awkward for me to say that we have a relationship with sin? Jesus just states it as if it's obvious and forgive us our sins. Just assumes that everybody knows that they've sinned this week. So he says, and forgive us our sins. And he puts it right in front of us and, and we just got to deal with it. And so we take this word confession and we wrestle with it. There's a, a famous quote by a pastor back in the 1600s that gets uh, repeated over and over, it says this, be killing sin or it will be killing you. God's name's John Owen. Be killing sin 
or it will be killing you. So when you get to this part of the prayer, like it's, it's this acknowledgement from Jesus as he's teaching us how to walk day to day is that we better be serious about our relationship with sin or it's going to kill you. So on a daily basis, you better kill it. Uh, just this week, I mean, it's been a crazy week for me. I have gotten uh, multiple calls where sin is killing people. Uh, man, a really good friend got served papers by his wife this week. And he called me, uh, man, what day? Wednesday. We talked on the phone. We grieved on the phone. And we walked back through how they got there. And he got just a tiny little bit of hope. But it's just painful. Sin be killing you. I've heard worse this week, far worse, of things that have gone down and things that have been lost. And on the flip side, I, I got, had two interactions with kids who have single moms as their only parent, and that single mom has warred to protect them from sin, both by discipline and by knowing where they are and by introducing them to the right type of people. Who knows what will happen with those, those two young men, but those moms are warring against it because they know it's there. Praise God for them. So at Radius Church, we have this little phrase that we, if you're new to us, we say it a lot, tell the truth about yourself. The idea is that we would tell the truth about ourselves to God. I honestly don't know if we have a better phrase at Radius Church. If there was a gift I could give you, it's Mother's Day, so this doesn't seem like the Mother's Day appropriate gift, but I give it to all of you. If you could learn how to say the truth about yourself to God, it will completely change your life. I, I am 100% confident in that. It'll completely change your life if you'll take the truth about you and put it out there. He'll meet you in that moment, and it'll change you. And I, I want to say, I don't know if I can say this well enough, it is so good. When you take the truth and you put it in front of them. Um, in my childhood, I believed. I became a Christian. And somebody taught me to do ACTS. And so uh, by the time I was 12, I had me a little journal, and I would like ACTS, and I'd pray those three things. And when he got to confession, it was often awkward, right? When you're a kid and kids in the room that know Jesus, you can do this. And it was so good. It's a daily like rhythm of just looking at my life in the mirror and going, is there anything that I'm doing that doesn't align with, align with the kingdom of God? What's not like God in, in my day? And I mean, when you're 12, most of it's about your parents, right? Like, like whatever my mama said that I didn't like and whether I said something back or didn't do it or disobeyed, she didn't know it. All of it was related to her. So like it's, it's written in there. We burned them. Like, like I don't want my mama to see that. Like, but no, I'm teasing. Like, it was just this good season where I'm learning to relate to God about my sin. That's what he says to do. On a daily basis, I'm doing maintenance. By the time I was in my teens, it was all about sex, right? Like everything's about sex. There's things coming to my mind that weren't coming to my mind when I was a kid. Like I still had to wrestle with authority, but sex was the thing that was in the middle. So, man, when I'm confessing sin, I'm confessing it about lust and things that I want that I shouldn't have, and I'm putting it on the page, and it's just... Man, on one hand, it's 
a little embarrassing to show God, but he already knows, and there's like this freedom putting it down and letting him see it. I want it for you so bad. It's just good. As an adult, what's really interesting is neither one of those two things have gone away. I still struggle with authority. I still struggle with my eyes. It'll be a battle until my death, right? And so the practice of continually holding those things before God gives me accountability to him. And if I'll pray with a couple brothers who know Jesus, now I got multiple accountabilities. It's great. It gives me this place of peace in the midst of all of this pressure that's not going away. Jesus is praying like, all right, boys, you will need to learn how to pray. Tell God how great he is. Tell him you need something to eat today. And then let's talk about sin because it's going to be on you today. It happens every day. As an adult, the last two weeks, I've been praying that the Lord help me control this thing right here, my mouth. Man, I don't know what's happened, but I started saying things that I don't need to say. Anybody else got this problem? And, and it just became apparent, like the words are just getting loose. Like they're, they're coming out a little loose, and they feel wrong. And it feels like I need to take them and show them to God. I've been telling Cheryl as well. I came home the other night. I got mad in some situation, and I delivered the goods, right? Like, and I kind of was proud of it a little bit. And, and I thought maybe she'd be proud of me, and then she wasn't proud of me, right? Like, she literally, the words out of her mouth is, you can't say that. I'm like, I did say that. And like, like it's like this, this moment where you like felt like you did the right thing, but you said it the wrong way with the wrong words. Anybody else do this sometimes? Like, it need be said. Someone's holding it out there, getting him to look at it. I got to tell you, man, there's been a bunch of progress made in the last two weeks by just recognizing it and holding it out there and letting him. He already saw it. So now we're doing it together and then then having somebody to hold it out there with, including some some friends in in Christ. It's just it's progress. It feels healthy. Like I went to the gym. Confession is this massive part of your prayer life. And I want it for you. I, I want, as a church, for you to work on this discipline to put yourself in a position of health, spiritual health, that is. I listened to Tim Keller on this this week, a terrific message. If you want to go find it online, I think he calls it the prayer of prayers. And he, he kind of goes through the Lord's Prayer. It takes him like eight Sundays to do it, 40 minutes apiece. I'm going to do it in 20 minutes. So uh, you're safe. One of the things he emphasizes is, that in order to confess your sins, you have to own it. I love that. You just, you have to stop denying that you are a sinner. The passage assumes it. Like, (laughs) forgive us our sins, verse 13, and don't let us yield to temptation. It sounds like it's in there. Galatians 5, if you, if you know Galatians 5 at all, it actually talks about the Holy Spirit indwelling us, and it says that we're supposed to yield to the Holy Spirit, but it assumes, it actually mentioned as the flesh, that sin is also in there, and you're going to yield to one or the other. There's this yielding that goes on. It's interesting in our world, like we almost want to deny that we're sinners, and then we're shocked by the stuff that happens all around us. If you haven't been to Radius much, we, uh, we just go ahead and claim it. Everybody in here is a sinner. Right? Like every last one of us. And we're thankful that God wants to have a relationship with us despite our sin because of Jesus. So just own it for a minute. Psalm 51, 
If you know this psalm it is, and read it in its context, it is difficult to read. David has just blown up his family. David is a stud. He's been a great follower of God. He's led his people well. And he's decided to have adultery, which is probably light for what he did with this lady named Bathsheba. Uh, John Piper would say he raped her. He literally sent people to her house and took her because he saw her as beautiful and then had sex with her, most likely against her will. And then, long story short, killed her husband in battle and his, his fellow troops, all for himself. If you know the story, a prophet comes and confronts him on this. I don't have time to tell you the whole story. And he repents. Sometimes I think we uh, want people just to walk forward and repent. And I think it's always great if somebody deals with their own stuff and comes forward and repent. But repentance is repentance. And when he's confronted, he repents. And he writes this psalm. And it's heavy. <laughs> we decided to do this for Mother's Day. I'm like, man, this is a great Mother's Day gift right here. Um, he, he writes this psalm out of the pain of his sin as he's working through repentance. In verse 5 of, of Psalm 51, he writes this. He says, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Happy Mother's Day. Right? <laughs> like the moment you brought that rascal into the world, he or she was a sinner. And David, after this horrible thing that he did in his position of power, he's taking it all the way back to the day he was born. He's connecting the sins of his youth all the way to the point of what he just did. He's owning it at the ultimate level. Uh, Wednesday night, we prayed in here. We had Sheely's, which was awesome. And then we got around tables and we prayed. And when we got AC, when we got to confession, we, so if you come, you're going to pray out loud. So you might want to avoid it. And I really want you to come. Like all you had to do was I am blank, right? Like I am lazy. The first one I heard in the room, like I wasn't spying on everybody. I was just sitting right here. I heard, I don't know who was the guy. The guy says, I am a liar. I'm like, dang, boy, we're praying in here. This is a real prayer service. There wasn't no theology. There's no like long speech explaining Greek words and using these and thous. He's like, I am a liar. Let's go, boy. Let's just tell the truth and put it out there. It was cool and right and healthy. David's connecting his deep sin to who he is. He's saying, in effect, I am not a good guy. Had this conversation this week. And just looking in the mirror, I'm just going, I'm, I'm not a good guy. A lot of people think I'm a good guy because I'm a nice guy. Some people don't even think I'm a nice guy. So it's, just, it's the hard part. But, like, good guys don't do stuff like that. A bunch of people in Israel would have said about David, man, he's really a good guy. He must have just, and they would have found a way to point the finger somewhere else. But David's saying, no, I'm not a good guy. I haven't been a good guy since the day I was born. He's owning it. There's a story of two brothers early in the Bible. One's named Cain and one's named Abel. And uh, they're, they're the earliest of, of humans on the planet. And it is the first murder in the Bible. And God confronts Cain 
prior to the murder, and he says to Cain this, sin is crouching at your door. He might have said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Because in the coming days, as this anger raged inside of Cain, he ended up murdering his own brother, Abel. He's destroyed his family, destroyed his life. He destroyed everything because he gave way to this, to sin. It doesn't say Satan's crouching at the door. He takes sin, this thing that's in you. And paints the picture of it like a lion or a tiger crouching, ready to pounce, ready to destroy you. And so when Jesus prays, it's like, like start with it's in you. And then ask God to lead us not into temptation. So the beginning is just owning it. And then the next step would be taking full responsibility without excuse. Anybody know what I mean by that? Anybody got like this excuse game? You can, you can roll up really quick. I, I don't know what it is, but when I repent or confess or apologize with an excuse in the back of my mind, it really just does not bring any health or relief. When I say repentance is, or confession is so good, it's not good. When I have this like little, little corner of my heart where I've got some, I don't know, what, what, some blame stored up. Anybody? Like you got a little spot in your house. You, like how, what the ceiling fans look at your house? Yeah, y'all ceiling fan got a little dust on them. I, I'm not judging you. Like, like, like where, where, where's the little stuff? Where, where? Some of y'all are worried about your ceiling fan right now. We're talking about, we're talking about <laughs> like, like there's always stuff hidden somewhere in our heart. And he's, he's saying, David actually says it in another place in the psalm, there's stuff lurking in my heart. It, it's hiding. In order to really repent, you have to take full responsibility without excuse. Let me read verse 3. For I recognize my rebellion. This is Psalm 51 again. It haunts me day and night. It's like he knows what he's done. There's this constant awareness to it. And he's deeply humbled by it. Verse 4. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. It's a pretty strong close. When you own it and you make no excuse... He looks at God as his judge and says, do what you need to do. That's, that's laying it all out there. Do what you need to do. Anybody do this? I deserve blank because of blank sacrifice. Anybody? A lot of affairs happen like that. I deserve this because I've been working so hard, Right? I, I deserve to do this thing. Generally, the blank is filled with something that's wrong because of. Mom's in the room. I got all these crazy kids. I deserve what, right? Like a chicken wing. That's, that's Father's Day. Like, like a Haagen-Dazs. Like what, what is it? Like, like you go, man, this day's been so crazy. I, got, I, got, I, that, I get that whole half gallon, right? Like that's kind of how it works. And that's light compared to some of the other stuff. We got moms right here in the room because life is difficult right now. You're popping pills, and you know, but you keep making this excuse, right? A, a, a lot of moms will end up talking about other moms, so they lean into their words about other people, and they gossip, and the reason they gossip is because I've been, I've been 
striving and working so hard over here. I deserve the right to like let this thing loose a little bit. Anybody? Some of y'all sitting here like, hey, it's Mother's Day. Why y'all rip? Why you ripping on me? Right? I brought my son here so you'd rip on him, right? Like so. Hey, that blank could be filled by any of us. And the Lord on this day with this passage is calling us all to, to this place that can be so good if I'll take responsibility. Man, if you're lazy, you're not going to work. You always got a reason not to work. How about holding that out to him today and saying, I'm lazy. For a man in the room, that, that's pretty humbling. I guarantee you there's something in here. Hold it out there. Your mama's hoping you're going to hold it out there, right? Like, let's, let's get that handled. Let's put it before him and see what he can do with it. Most of us will come up with ways to minimize our sin or relativize our sin, like minimize. My kids are so wild, I. My spouse is so irrational, I. My boss is so ignorant, I. Like, like I got a reason. I got an excuse. I'm blaming somebody else in my circle. To relativize it, uh, in our culture, this ain't nothing, right? If you grew up in my house, you wouldn't be saying that about me. I need you to walk in my shoes. Everybody says that now, right? Like, you got to walk in my shoes. Well, that's all good until you don't really deal with your stuff and you can't ever become healthy because you're always deflecting to somebody else. And so really, you're not repenting. You're just complaining. And you can complain and cry and carry on and there'll be no new life. A little quote I got from Keller, if you wanted to write something down today, I thought this was terrific. Life-giving repentance begins where blame-shifting ends. And for those of us that have walked down that road, it's so good when I finally get all the blame out of the corners and I just, just own it before God starting with I was born this way, and then owning the very activity that I'm putting before him. And then finally, verse 4, I'll read it to you again because it probably bothered you. I read it over fast so you wouldn't ask me about it. <laughs> Against you and you alone I've sinned. David's writing this. We know what he just did. I just told you. He murdered a guy, had adultery. And he says to God, against you and you alone have I sinned. What the heck are you talking about? You sinned against a whole lot of people. Bathsheba, you just here? That's, that's the lady. Her husband's name was Uriah. He's dead. What about the families that were affected by the, the other soldiers that were killed? What about the nation that was following? You, you sinned against all these people. What's David saying when he says against you and you alone? In the Hebrew language, when you put... Two words side by side like that, it just emphasizes the emotion. So you and you, right? Like when Jesus is on the cross, he says, my God, my God. It's emotional. Uh, when David's son dies later, he's going to say, Absalom, Absalom. It's emotional. He's saying against you and al you alone, there's this emotional response to God. And he's saying compared, so it's hyperbole, compared to how deeply I've offended you, I haven't offended anybody else. He's, he's owning this thing not only here, but in relation to God. So really what he's saying is, uh, man, before I committed physical adultery, I committed spiritual adultery. 
And for all of us in the room that know Jesus, it's just this great reminder of where our heart is. And so again this morning, like, if you got something hidden, the beginning is owning it, taking full responsibility, but it's got to be a deep heart renunciation of that sin that's hidden in there. For some of us, we've been weeding some of that out forever, and we probably will to our death. But the attitude toward it of hating it, not hating the people around us that we can find blame for, hating it is the way to life. Uh, It's interesting, if you read this passage, you kind of get the feeling that our main sin is against God. And I think for some of us that grew up in churches where they were harsh, we think that it's against God's law, which is true. Our sin is against God's law. But probably the healthiest way to think about it is against his love. We not only rebelled against his law, but we rebelled against his love. And moms, you, you know what this is about. When's the last time you hurt your mama? It's never fun. When you break your mama's heart. I remember doing it a couple times. My mom is not real emotional in those moments, but the look on her face. Like, and, and when my kids have broken my wife's heart, it is hard to watch. I want, I want to fight, right? Like it's like there's this, there's this thing that goes on there that is difficult. And this, this passage, actually, David's owning the fact that he broke the Lord's heart. It's hard to process because we know God and his greatness. How does God's heart get broken? Heart can only get broken if you love intently. What often happens when we come to repentance or something that looks like repentance, instead of having a deep heart renunciation, we're actually really, really sad that we got caught. Right? You ever get a ticket in the blue light? Yeah, and like I never really feel bad for the police officer that's come and give me a ticket, right? Like, like I cannot believe he pulled me over for 11 over. Like, why? It's just 11 over, right? What, what is he? Th- like, you, all these things go through our minds. So, so when we get caught, we actually, we start blaming. We start, we start working all of our angles. And what often happens is when we, when we do that, we're really just locked in on ourselves. It's all self-pity. So, so we, we start crying and we, we start recognizing the, the $110 ticket I'm about to get, right? And like we dread $110. I recognize what Cheryl's going to say when she hears I got a $100, $10 ticket. I recognize what the insurance is going to do the next time I have to have a, uh, it renewed. And like all those things going through your mind. And that happens at the extreme level. I've watched it in multiple marriages in the last week where everything finally hit the fan. And I've watched a couple husbands just hate it that they got caught. And now they're working through, is there something more in here? And it gets them past the self-pity and begins to make them look hard at themselves. And that's the path to being healthy. Keller says it like this, life-giving repentance starts where self-pity ends. Really good. You remember the first one? Life-giving repentance begins where blame-shifting ends. So you got to take all the blame out of the corners, and you got to take all the self-pity out to really lay yourself 
in all the weight of this thing before God. This psalm starts pretty interesting. He says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, forgive us our sins. So there's this assumption that you're a sinner, but there's also assumption that he wants to forgive you. He says to rescue us from the evil one. So there's an assumption that the evil one, Satan's after you, but there's also this assumption that God Almighty can handle his business. Like all, all, all of that's in there. So on, on a day like this where we're, where we're working on confession, it is a great day to take bread and juice. Because you and I, like when we walk up here to take bread and juice, we actually have this understanding. I hope you have this understanding that you're not worthy to take this. You don't belong in God's presence. We shouldn't be able to walk in this building because of him. And yet he made a way. And I walk up here confidently. So both of them, I'm walking up unworthy and confident at the same time, which seems so counterintuitive. And that's why we celebrate that death, because it changed everything. Because it changed everything about this relationship that I have with sin. So on the one hand, by law, I have complete right to come and take this bread and juice. I, one day when I die, I'm going to meet God in heaven and say, I belong. Look at my paper. It was signed by the blood of Jesus. It's stamped. I'm in. Ain't nothing can, do, can be done about it. I'm legally given the right to be a son of God. You can't take it away. Nothing I can do to take it away. So we celebrate it. There's confidence in that. And yet he's my dad. He's my daddy. And so when I go away opposite of him, when I don't want his kingdom to come, I want to set up my kingdom. It hurts him, and he grieves. So it's completely appropriate. Before you come taking bread and juice, if you're a believer, to go, Father, I'm sorry for how I grieved you this week, and name it. I am blank, and name it, and feel unworthy for a minute, and then rest in that contract that you have signed with him. That you have been bought by his blood and you belong. That's why we worship here on Sundays. I hope you hear it. I'm giving you a gift. It's a gift that was given to me a long time ago. Uh, learn to pray the truth about yourself. Like it's this daily maintenance plan that is worth every minute. And for some of you, happened in this room so many times. Got something deep that's been hidden for a long time and it owns you and it's eating away at you. You know it. Like today might be the day to bring it into the light. <laughs> Start by putting it in front of God. You want to put it in front of a few people, we can, we can make that happen too. Let's, let's get it out there. That is the way to help. Let's pray together.